Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host Dave Homewood and uh, this week we have Anthony Galbraith on the line. Anthony's well known on the forum as a modeler and as someone who's currently restoring an Oster. Welcome Anthony. Okay, oh, Dave, thanks for having me. No problem. It's good to have you. Um, obviously you're, you're a modeler and, and you've, you've got, got your own aircraft and that sort of thing, but mm. I want to just sort of take you back to your earliest days of uh, aviation um, awareness. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, when did you sort of get into it? Oh, well... As far back as I can remember, really, Dave, I, I remember um, as a kid, you know, Meg and Dad would take me to the air shows at Wigram. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have vivid recollections of the Mirages and the old Red Checkers and the Harvards. Um, and, you know, scratching up, saving up my pocket money so I could buy plastic models so I could. Uh, create my own air shows at home in my bedroom as well. So, no, look, as far back as I can really remember, Dave, I just seem to have had a love of aeroplanes. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's it, really. It's, uh, I was doomed to be an aeroplane buff. Right, and, and so you've been modelling for a long, long time, and yeah. these days you're renowned as a, a, a super detail-type uh, modeller. Yeah. Uh, when did you sort of drift from being an average modeller into someone who thought, that's not right, I'm going to correct it? Oh, um, I think I was probably about oh, my early teens, Yep. And I'm starting to get a little bit more. I've always sort of had a, an artistic sort of a, uh, inclination. I was always doing drafting and, you know, metalwork and woodwork and all those sorts of things at school. So I sort of had the thing for um, uh, the aspect of things. And I, I remember um, drawing some Spitfire 22 plans I enlarged them two and a half times from an old scale models page. Right. And... Um, but I think it was on like an A1-sized piece of paper, and my dra- and I just started to see the details and things. And my drafting teacher said, "Oh, you know, this is what you should get into later on in life." And I and I, it didn't really interest me to do that, but I interested me detail. And then, of course, I was making plastic models as a kid. And I, when I was about thirteen, I started. Uh, I knew Ted Packer, who had the mosquito, and right. he used to often invite me up to his place, and uh, we'd talk about aircraft and. He showed me his vampire that he had in his garage with mosquito bits and um, and then he put me on to the guys at Ferrymead. So I suppose that time I was 14, yeah. I started volunteering out at uh, Ferrymead on the aircraft and just spent, you know, the next years and years and years paint stripping and cleaning. And so I got to see a lot of aircraft in detail and I look, I'd go home and look at my models and I'd go, oh, that's not right, that needs to go there, I need to fix that and make one of those. And before I knew it, I was um, carving up bits of screws off, uh, uh, you know, out of kits and making things out of those. And right. I think the first one I really sort of got into was, um, I had the old Fujimi 150th scale two-seat Skywalker, and I really added a lot more to it to make it more accurate as a as an Skyhawk. And... Um, 
And then I got to meet Pete Mossong. He came down about 1987. I was probably about 18 by then. And, uh, and he brought down his uh, Avenger and Kitty Hawk and Dauntless at an outward of the museum there. Yeah. And um, he won all these shows. And him and I sort of had it off back then. And I just learnt from people like that. I talked to them. I read, you know, Scale Models magazine. And uh, I stared at countless photos. Um, trying to understand how things looked and, and then I'd look in dismay at the kit pass and I'd think, well, it doesn't look like that, you know, it's supposed to look like this. Right. So um, I'd break it down in my head and um, and then rebuild it all up and just start putting bits in. So it started with little things like, you know, converting a, a Skyhawk into a Kiwi one and then, you know, you know, gosh, the cockpit's not very good, I'll, make, I'll scratch build a, you know, a new instrument panel or something like that. Right, right. So, yeah, just out of frustration, really, that things... I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I, I think I just got frustrated that things weren't as they should be. Were, were you doing this all off your own bat, or were there other kids that were modelling that were getting into it as well, or...? No, no. Um, none, of my, none of my mates at the time were really all that interested in aircraft, so it was pretty much me, but because I was spending all my weekends at Ferrymead restoring old planes... Yeah. Uh, it sort of kept me fueled, and the guys there were great. They were always encouraging me and taking me under their wings, so to speak, to uh, show me how to do things. I learned a lot about aircraft construction and stuff like that right from an early age. And at that time, because I was only in my teens, uh, the only way I could really apply that was, uh, I felt, you know, in, in my model making. I could, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, just um, that whole idea of a, a kid going out and volunteering at Ferrymead, that's just great. Uh, you must have had such a good time out there. Oh, I loved it, you know. I um, I, uh, I could just... Uh, I, I don't know, I had such a passion back then for New Zealand aviation. That, uh, and it wasn't necessarily... I mean, I initially went there to have a look at the mosquito, but um, I ended up, you know, working on all sorts of other things. Right. Um, and, you know, it was... The guys there were great. They were just you know, I think that they enjoyed having a young guy there because they were all sort of a lot older than me. Yeah. And um, we lived way over the other side of town, so every Saturday, Mum would drive me there when I was sort of like 14 and 15 and drop me off and, and come back across town at 5 o'clock and come and get me. And um, and I'd go Wednesday nights after school because they'd have a work, workshop night on a Wednesday night. Okay. Which they still do. Yeah. Um, and I was down at the local valley and pub drinking drinking beer with them at sort of 15. Some of the grease and oil. And, and, uh, and I think that was part of it, you know. Like, um, it was, I don't know, it was just something I couldn't help but do. Right, right. Yeah. So when I, and because modelling was my interest in my spare time, um, when I wasn't daydreaming out the window in class about uh, what I was going to make next or what I needed to work on next at Fairy Mead, um, I was working on a uh, you know, on a model airplane. Right, right. And with the um, the sort of super detailing that you do, do you find that when you finish a kit, you think, well, I could do better next time, and you, you strive to keep on improving? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, you're, <laughs> yeah. As you go along, like um, I look back at the Avenger now, the Target Tug Avenger that I built. Yeah. And I think, oh gosh, oh, I'll do that differently. I'd, so now I've actually gone and bought a 30-second scale kit so I can uh, I can pour a, a mountain of detail into another target tug wow. in that scale. So 
I, I do look at it, and I and I think, uh, you know, perhaps to, I, I look at my course here, though, and I think, no, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. There's a couple of little areas I would change, but um, that one became a bit of an obsession for me, so I'm too scared to look at it and say I should do it differently because it consumed too much of my time. Right. But, uh, well, it was... It was it was great fun, though, that year. I think I went slightly mental building it. <laughs> I think you've got to be slightly mental to make model airplanes anyway, don't you? Well, true, yeah. I guess you probably <laughs> do. <laughs> I guess that's why I gave up. My wife thinks I am slightly sometimes. My <laughs> son thinks it was great, but yeah. But So right there when you were saying, you know, oh, I could have done that better mm. on the Avenger, I'm, mm. I could hear every modeler out there listening to this screaming, saying, what? Because oh. when that came up on the forum, that was just stunning. It looked great. Yeah, oh, thanks very much. Yeah, um, I think what happened there was um, it went on display after winning a couple of first places at the New Zealand Nationals. It went into a model shop on display. Yeah. I got a phone call about a month later from the owner saying, well, you better come and get it. It's all busted. Oh, no. So I went down and picked it up, and it was in a lot of pieces. And um, I guess it was at that point when I was looking at different things as I was putting them all back together. I was trying to decide, um, like in the flat phase, there's a little bit of plumbing I probably should have put in a, uh, in a couple of spots. Yeah. And um, uh, I don't know, just little... Little wee things like the skinning over the turret, I probably would do that a little bit differently now. Yeah. Um, and just little wee things like that. Um, just listening to you talk about that sort of thing, the, the detail that you go to to get things right, you obviously do a lot of research. Mm. You do a lot of skimming of photographs and drawings, that sort of thing. Mm, yeah. I um, Actually, I enjoy probably the research more than, than the building of it sometimes. I... Um, I really enjoy, I love how things work. Yeah. For me, it's about, um, I think the reason I make models is because I enjoy seeing how things work and I, and I enjoy to be able to um, look at something and then break it down to an, into little sub-assemblies and figure out how I can make it. Yeah. And uh, I think it was, I think the Avenger was probably the big turning point where I, you know, I, I madly went and completely put the whole interior as that target tug Avenger had inside with all the flare stock, uh, the drogue storage racks and everything inside it, which no one will ever see. Right. The only thing that disappointed me, I think, was I never ever found a photo of the winch that went in the back. Um, right. Well, I'd love to put the winch in there, but apparently there was only like one or two winches and they were um, only ever in about one aeroplane at a time. Um, so quite often they flew without the winch anyway, but I'd like to put it in. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the super detailing, it's just, I think it just comes from the love of just watching, just seeing how things are made. Yeah, I can, I can sort of understand that. And um, I guess once you've looked at the real aircraft and you've looked at the drawings and the photographs, mm. and then if you look at a kit... Um, that's wrong. It just stands out, doesn't it? Yeah, and, yeah, it does to me, yeah. Yeah, and and so you you want to make it look right because yeah. you're so familiar. I think that's the thing is most people just buy a kit and put it together because they're not really familiar with what the shape I wish of I something could be is. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's why I enjoy making models with Cameron because um, you know we do it together and I, and I have to keep pulling myself back in a bit, saying ah, oh, don't get too fussy. You know, it's like he's got to enjoy it, and so um, we try and make. It. You know, try and make it fun for them without trying to get too carried away. Right. That's good for me too because I can actually see models getting finished, which you know, 
doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but the research is great. I love the research. I love learning about all you know, the, the idiosyncrasies of different aircraft and batch numbers. As mad as it is, but you know, like a classic example is you know the mosquitoes that came out here, and you know when they were overhauled, all the newly built standard motors ones, and they had all these little differences, like the the, the fuel coolers on the side and the tropical. Um, uh, carb intakes yeah. and all those little wee things you know the trailing edge areas which were uh, the trailing areas that were on, on the standard built um, ones you know, it's all those little wee things so I pick my aeroplane and then I see what little wee bits it had and actually I was quite impressed when I was at John Smith's actually um, one time his one's got the big uh, F-24 camera in the nose. Oh, okay. Uh, like the, the Coastal Command Strike ones had in them. Yeah, yeah. Not like the little wee uh, opening port like 99% of mosquitoes that you see photographed. It's got the big massive camera in there. Oh, right. Not that he's got the camera. He's trying to track an F-24 down with a what's called a one-inch cone. Um, so... Um, yeah, so looking at things like that and the little wee differences between them. So I know when I sit down and build it, I've got, you know, all the little wee differences right. Um, yeah. And that's just what I enjoy about it, you know. It's just knowing that when I look at it, I've done the best I can to get it looking just like one that served in the ANZ or as a New Zealand aircraft. Right. And that's where I get my satisfaction from. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Not from throwing bits of plastic around the house and cursing at them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, well, not so bad now. Um, but uh, yeah, my wife knows when things are going on, I'd I sort of go all quiet and, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I do it sometimes. It drives me up the wall. I, I, I set myself too high a bar and I just uh, uh, I, I get annoyed with myself and I can't achieve it. So, And it's supposed to be fun, I tell myself. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah, it is fun. I yeah. guess I enjoy the stress out of it as well. Yeah, I but guess... Yeah, like, building's not difficult. It really... I mean, after I've said that, I know it sounds uh, like a contradiction, but, uh, you know, if you look at a picture and and break it down and you head right back to the bare structure yeah. and then you just build it up from there, if you look at something as one image of a massive wires or structure, you just switch off to it straight away. Yeah. But if you just break it down to actually how it was built, okay, there's a square there, it's got a you know, a rectangular piece coming off there, it's got the the plumbing coming out that side. All of a sudden, before you realise it, you you know, you've you've built one and it's and all it is is just trial and error and, you know, cuts to your fingers and and, you know, doing it I usually find the third go at making something or usually about the one that works out. Okay, okay. Do you, do you always keep the first two goes so you can build up three aeroplanes? <laughs> no, no, no. I usually um, I usually get halfway through something and go, oh, no, this isn't going right. It's not going where it should be, and I'll start again. I should have done it like this. And, yeah. and then I'll be halfway through the second one and go, oh, actually, I probably should have done that. This is finished, but it doesn't look quite right, so I'll build another one. Right. And it's like that Westpac helicopter, you know, I... I um, a lot of the interior panels, I oh actually actually no the skids are probably a better example. I built about two or three sets of those before I was happy with them. Okay. And actually they were quite easy to build. Once I built one and figured out how to do it, building the other side was quite simple. Yeah. Uh, really, there's not a lot to scratch building. Really, is easy as long as you've got plenty of plastic card. Um, 
Dave in BK, uh, which was, was you know, probably not that fresh for the old health. Yeah. Um, uh, I used to use plastic card, MEK, and lots of good photos and a few measurements and away you go. The one trick, though, I always find is that sometimes you just can't put everything in there. Like, if you were to super detail a whole lot of a, every plumbing piece in a, in a wheel well of something, yeah. and then if you were to put the undercarriage of a wheel, the wheel might not fit because, you know, for two reasons. You put everything in there, and the reality is, is that everything is probably slightly overscale, and so it looks like when you look at it, the wheel would never go in that wheel well. So you've got to be careful on the balance where you put just enough detail in to make it look like it should do, yeah. and not making it look cluttered like a, a big cluttered mess as well. Right. That's something I've sort of learned along the way. I'll try and put everything in, and you know you can sort of get ninety percent of it in, but sometimes you know uh, you can make things look a bit cluttered and clumsy looking um, if you're not careful so I think you just find that balance right right okay yeah. uh, and one thing um, with your uh, rescue helicopters project that I did pick up on um, in that thread was that you've had contact with the guys that are actually flying the helicopters and yeah, that yeah. must be another really interesting aspect it has been actually because you know I go down there and take photos and measurements and they're and just those guys love what they do and they're so passionate about what they do and, and they love their helicopter. Yeah. And when people show an interest in it, they just they just light up, you know, they wanna tell you about what they do and how they do it and you know, and, and oh if you wait hang on, I'll show you we I've got to refuel it so they'll hang around and they've got the special uh, the 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 uh, base thing that it sits on, the, the trolley. Yeah. Um, it's got a section in the middle that tilts down. So they pull the pins out and the helicopter drops down on about a 20-odd degree angle and uh, they refuel it like that. And they just want to tell you all these things that they do and, oh, we just got this new piece of equipment and, and, oh, don't forget that this one's got one of those. And so they, you know, and they've been really good. Uh, a lot of them um, have been following the, the build on uh, on your website, Dave. Yeah. Um, a couple of guys asked where could they see it and I told them what I was you know, I was building it and putting uh, updates on the website, and um, when I went back the following week, they say they've all got, they all tell me how they've got it bookmarked, and, um, you know, they, um, they want me, once I've got it finished, to uh, bring it down and put it on display there for a while and take it to any open days that they have. And, Great. Uh, they asked me to build the one, but honestly, Dave, I couldn't do it. No. Just too much gone into this one. Yeah. I'm actually working on it again now. Oh, um, great. I was going to ask you where it's up to. Yeah, no, I've been working on it this week, actually. Um, I've been putting all the floor in. I've made um, some uh, new windscreen pieces in the framework, um, and I'm just making a bit of a mould up so I can back form um, some framework around the windscreen. So I must actually uh, get some photos up of it. You know, I've got something a little bit more to show. I sort of look at it and it doesn't look that much further ahead, but... Um, yeah, I think shortly I'll get some more photos up because I'm starting to to uh, move along with it now. Well, that's great. That that'll be really appreciated because yeah. I know that's one of the most popular modelling threads that's been on the forum. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of other websites too, and I've had them posting on there and hounding me to get back onto it as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm feeling the pressure, Dave. I'm feeling the pressure. I've got to get back onto it, and I bumped into the guy who. Um, 
does all the marketing for the Westpac helicopter because he's provided me with all the artwork for the sponsorship logos and everything. So, wow. And Pete Mossong's doing all the decals for me. Oh, right. And uh, he, uh, he's been on at me to get cracking on it again as well. So, and the guy in Germany who I work with to do all the photo etch yep. for all the instrument panels and everything like that uh, for that specific aeroplane, he's been asking me how it's going along too. So um, I've, I've got to the point now where I can't ignore people nagging at me to get going on it. But I actually starting to enjoy it again. I'm uh, working on it again this week. It's been quite quite fun. It's, I just needed a break, you know. I, you know, I just yeah. got so bogged down with it. Yeah. I just couldn't see the, the woods for the trees. And so, um, yeah, it was nice to have a break and sort of clear my head of it for a wee while. Yeah. I built a few models for other people, a few for Cameron and uh, Damon Edwards. I built a... Um, at uh, Angeles Harvard for him was one that his grandfather flew right, right. and things like that so it was, it was good I've had a bit of a break potted on a few other things and here's time to get back to the Helicopter again. Right, excellent. And of course, there, there's another couple of projects that you had been working on that have also been pushed aside. I remember you were working on a um, RNZF Mustang at one stage. Um, yeah, well, I was at a 48th Mustang and a 48th um, Mosquito. That's right, yeah. Um, but, uh, well, I was, I'm finding time that's something that I'm really struggling with. Like you know, I said to you earlier, Dave, I need a 28-hour day so I can get all my projects finished because um, I've been, uh, of course, with the Oster I'm rebuilding. Um, I'm trying to find time to work on that as well as the models. And I thought, well, Tony just put out a new 30-second scale P51D. And I, it was just so nice. I, as soon as I saw the current, oh, man, I, I really not need to buy Oster bits. Uh, but I just can't resist that. So I bought the 30 second scale kit and, um, uh, and I flipped off the uh, Mustang to a local guy here. He's, uh, he's pretty over the moon to, to get it. Right. So he's going to finish it off now. Right. So yeah, I've got two 30 second scale um, Mustangs to build. Yep. And his own ZA funds. Great. Um, but I'm actually. Um, not needing to put a hang of a lot extra detail into that because the kit is just so comprehensive as it is. Right. And uh, and again with Mustangs, I've had a bit to do with some Kiwi Mustang remains and things over the years and helping David Muir out with his uh, book Southern Cross Mustangs. Yeah. Um, I sort of, um, yeah, it's pretty much aware of just being assembly and paint job, that one, I think. Right, right. I'm sure I'll find an excuse to put extra plumbing in somewhere. <laughs> Do, do you ever build um, dioramas to put them in, or just display No, them? but funny you say that. The other day, I was thinking I wouldn't mind doing something, and I saw a um, I saw a photo of Mustang uh, two uh, Mustang ten, I think it was, and it had a gear collapse, and one I think it was port undercarriage leak collapsed okay. at Herewood, and I thought, oh, that might be a little bit interesting. You know, it was just. Yeah, something a wee bit different. I've sort of been thinking a little bit more, you know, I wouldn't mind. Cameron wants to do a diorama. Yeah. Uh, he's quite keen on doing something like that. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I'd be quite, I'm quite keen on doing it. I think it adds a little bit of life to something rather than, I've got one of these big glass, aluminium and glass display cabinets with halogen lights in it here at home. And, you know, well, they can look a bit lifeless when they're sitting there because they do have, a, you know, they when you put them in the right setting, I think it really brings them to life. So yeah, 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 I think I might start looking at doing a couple more bases and a little bit of equipment 
um, around there. I have to scratch build some refuelers or something. And uh, I quite like the idea of uh, putting the drogue tone 30 second scale Avenger with the 30 second scale Mustang, um, John Smith's um, 23 that he has. I've got some nice photos taken uh, from the ANZF target take Avenger of, of his Mustang in flight. Oh. Um, chasing it, so um, yeah, I think maybe pairing the two up on a tarmac might be quite nice with uh, some tow bars and stuff like that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, with the, um, the the research that you do before you start um, reconstructing these aircraft, uh, do you find sometimes that you'll get sets of drawings and they actually differ? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, How do you get around that if you go into that much look, detail? No, I, I don't, you know, as crazy as it sounds that the detail I go to, I, what I do is I... I because I go from basically um, prop hub to, you know, end of the rudder and yeah. wingtip to wingtip, studying it with, with photos and, and measuring up where I can, you know, you can actually, I think, as long as to me it looks, it captures the essence and feel of something, yeah. and it's not miles out, like if it's something... I look at a picture and I'm not happy with it, I'll fix it. Right. Um, but I won't get too bogged down in, um, you know, in, so, uh, mind you, I have with the Westpac helicopter thing. <laughs> yeah, no, good point, Dave. Don't know, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to get too bogged down with um, with dimensions and that, yeah. but um, I, I, it seems I do, don't I? Yeah, perhaps <laughs> I do. I'm yeah. oh, sorry for pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking my joy away from me, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's the worst kit that you've found um, in terms of detail or, or accuracy? Um, I'll tell you what. I've got a um, 30 second scale Ravel uh, Huey, the yep. UH1B, and um, I really want to uh, after the Westpac helicopter's done, build that as a helicopters New Zealand uh, big Bell 412. Oh right. But that Ravel kit just needs, it's got some inherent problems that need to be fixed. And that's one project that I desperately want. I can just imagine this big 412 in the red and white scheme with the flotation bags on the skids. And the guys at HNZ were fantastic. Um, the engineers there said if next time I'm passing through with work to call in, and they just, you know, just bent over backwards to help me out with photos and dimensions. and. One of the guys, he's a modeler himself, he's got a radio-controlled one, and right. he was just, you know, he'd seen the Westpac helicopter on your website too, Dave. Okay. And uh, he said, oh, I've, he said, you've got you the bloke who's building that Westpac I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, oh, no, he said, oh, I'd love to see you build one of, one of our helicopters. So, uh, um, but that kit's got, got some problems, um, and... I think that's going going to be quite a challenge for me okay. uh, to build. And like the whole windscreen area needs fixing. But the guy in Germany I was working on with the Fatorich is actually working on some Fatorich uh, for the Huey, and I sent him some information and measurements. He's because he wants to build a. He used to fly um, uh, UH ones in Germany, and yep. he wants to build an accurate model of one of those. So. Okay. Um, he's working on all new windscreen corrections and um, 
Yeah. So building a bell four one two solves one problem because I have to cut the awful nose off that the bell kit. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so, well, yeah, I, I, I think know it's the probably going to be. Well, mind you, having said that, I completely dissected the DK to bits as well. Yeah, true. There's actually <laughs> not much left of the original plastic. No, there, is there? no, there's not. There's not, is there? <laughs> not at all. Yeah, there's uh, that little bit of yellow is all that's left of that kit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit uh, anal and fussier than I thought I was. Oh no, it's it's fi- it's like a Spitfire restoration, isn't it? We, we when that gets flying, there's about the same amount left of the original Spitfires. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Dave, the problem is with this Oster that I'm rebuilding, the same thing here, you know, I, I'm just, I'm such a perfectionist with everything that um, everything's got to look quite brand new. You know, see, the thing is, I've, I've for years, you know, read books and magazines on aircraft restorations and rebuilds and admired seeing what's happening with, you know, some of these big rebuild companies in the UK and yep. in the States. And I think, you know, do it once you do it, do it right the first time. And it's just like my models, but it's just on a larger scale. Um, and I'm doing this with the Oster, you know, so that it will look like it's, you know, brand new out of the factory. Exactly. But trying to keep that military feel to it, I don't want it to be all glossy. and You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Trying to keep it all nice and authentic. Um, but, you know, a few people have said to me, oh, Anthony, you know, your Oster's going to weigh a ton, you know, you want to keep it as light as possible. And it's like, yeah, I know, but this is how they were, you know. It'll probably fly like an old Dray, but, you know, that's how they flew. I've got all, I've got all the old flare guns and, you know, crowbars and axes and all the old gear that they used to fly. Wow. So I'm putting them all back in. Oh, that's great. Um, so, yeah, look, it'll probably be an old Dray in the air, but at the end of the day, it'll be accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But just before we get onto the Oster, there's one question I was going to ask you. Mm. Um, you're obviously from Christchurch and grew up in Christchurch. Um, yeah, I down south there. I was born out of Matata and lived oh, right. in Wiser and now I'm away for about six or seven. Okay, okay. But you've been in Christchurch a long time and that haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So been. I guess um, we've just passed the, the f- um, first year since the quake, the big, mm. the big quake. And you must have lost a lot of your model shops, I suppose, down there. Has, uh, has that been, uh, you know, much of an effect on... on no, not or? really, no. Um, I actually buy a lot of my stuff online because right. um, I'm sort of getting all of it. Like, I buy my glues and plastic card and all that for make all models here, but, um, yeah, because I'm scratch building so much stuff now, I either buy de- detail sets that, you know, small companies are making overseas, so... Um, I still try and support Acorn models as much as I can, where yeah. I can. Um, but so, no, it hasn't hit too much. Like Acorn models got hit pretty hard, but they've, they've bounced back. And as long as you don't mind walking through the shop, I mean, halfway down the shop, you've got to like take a step up because the floor's split in half and raised oh, up. Oh, dear. It's, um, you know, so they're, they're out in the suburbs a bit, aren't they? No, they're in the CBD. Oh, really? Oh, they must yeah, they're on Manchester Street just before Morehouse Ave. Okay. What about uh, John Ball? Was, that was in the city too, wasn't it? John Ball Models? Yeah, no, he's he's long gone, actually. Oh, right. He um, went more into the cycles and the models never really did anything. And okay. So that sort of folded up. Iron Horse Hobbies, I didn't really go into a lot because they're mostly trains. Yeah. But I used to go in there from time to time and get little, you know, bits and pieces and fittings that train guys have. Right. So, yeah, Acorn Models was the main place I went, but that's still there. And, and I still like to support model crafts and hobbies up in Wellington. I've bought a 
a ton of stuff that I've been over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you find when you um, super detailing a kit that it makes it a lot more expensive than if you just bought it out of the um, straight built it straight out of the box? Or? <laughs> oh, Dave, that's the problem. My wife sees me come home with a kit, and then she sees me spend three or four times the amount of money on aftermarket <laughs> and detail sets and things to go in the thing. <laughs> and like this, this thirty second scale Skyhawk, I've been building and upgrading to the Kahu version. Yeah, you know I've. Um, I've started the kit, I've, uh, you know, I've got saddle etch and resin and decals and sort of put that on hold because I emailed Erie's a big resin producer of detail parts. Oh, look, Dave, I'm not one for reinventing the wheels, but these guys I think are using like computer programs and things to make parts yeah. and casting them and their stuff is just stunning. I'm not going to sit down and spend the next three months building a wheel well when I can just buy one and airbrush it up and put a wash in it and, you know, better yeah. than what I could have done. Yeah. So, you know, I've got um, a cockpit setting and because the Skyhawk's going to have the avionics bay open, I've got resin bays, which I thought I could use the structure for, but now I'm already rebuilding the resin parts. Yeah. And um, they're doing a whole pile of stuff for it. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it cost me a lot more in, in aftermarket bits than what it does actual kill itself right. every time. Right. Okay. Mm. Well, well, we'll get on to the Oster project now. Can you, um, for the people out there who don't know anything about it, um, mm. can you sort of give us the background of how you, it came into your um, possession and that sort of thing? Yeah, sure, Dave. Um, well, obviously, you know, as you know, I've been working on old planes since I was sort of 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people used to say to me, um, oh, when are you going to get yourself your own project, Anthony? When are you going to get it? Oh, well, you know, one day something will come up that's, that's right for me and my family. And I was up uh, visiting Bill Reed, uh, yeah, Bill Reed, who was there, I had some Anson bits for him. And uh, sitting down in the uh, in the workshop with the, with the guys having coffee and talking about stuff. And Bill was going, Anthony, it's just about time you're going to get yourself your own project. And I said, look. I'd love to, but I said uh, I had a I had a tiger project for a while. It was just too much of a basket case, yeah. uh, and I and I sold it on. But anyway, I um, there was a guy there, Grant Warlock, and he um, was over from Australia. He's an expat Kiwi, and he's a fantastic uh, sheet metal worker, a real craftsman. Right. And uh, he's been working on the bow fort and stuff like that in uh, in Brisbane. Okay. And uh, he said to me, he, he was sort of fussing me out, I think in hindsight and then he said to me oh would you be interested in an Oster and I said well, I quite like Osters but anyway the T7 is my favourite version I quite always like the Antarctic one at Wigram and I always quite like those later ones with the foul of, you know the, the trailing flaps and, yeah. and I said oh yeah I love one but I quite like the old T7 I'd, I'd, uh, because well that's, that's what we've got and we got talking and and he said, look, when I head back to Australia, I'll take some photos. He said she's got a great history, uh, military. She's never been a civilian one. Yeah. Uh, she's been in the RAF right from day one. And um, so he went over there and spoke to Ralph Cusack, who owns the Beaufort, because uh, Ralph owns it. Ralph sent some pictures through, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, wow. I mean, it was stripped right down. It was a, it was a real project. Yeah. Um, so I said, yep, yeah, oh, I'm pretty keen on that. And because Brenda thought I was mad. She <laughs> says, you know, she didn't even think it looked like an airplane. She yeah. said, it's not an airplane. She said, sure. 
Well, so no, always going to look at it. So I was over in Australia for a conference, and then Blinder and Cameron flew over to meet me, and we went up and had a look at the Oscar. Yeah. And um, you know, it was it was pretty well all there. You know, well, essentially it was all there. You know, it, there was um, fuselage, wings, undercarriage, tail feathers, and a lot of the internals. Um, and there were some obvious bits missing, but you know, the the good the. the Decent, more than decent basis to, to rebuild it. Right. It had been covered in 50,000 layers of house paint and it really looked pretty awful. Yeah. And Brenda goes, oh, I don't think you'd be wanting that, will you? And I said, no, I reckon you can sort of, I could sort of see past it and I was trying to, you know, look past the um, the restoration work that had already been done on it. Yeah. And um, so anyway, we... Um, um, we said to Ralph, we'll take it, and um, before we before we knew it, um, we were um, flying back home to New Zealand after putting a deposit on this old plane. Right. Uh, they didn't know a huge amount about its history other than it, it was RAF, and, it, and supposedly there were a few people who had been chasing it due to its, uh, its history it had, but sounds like they've got a bit ugly with some people, and... Uh, I don't know really the full story behind that. Okay, okay. Uh, anyway, um, long story short, um, it ended up um, in a container and I got a phone call from NAF to come and pick it up, uh, or the shipping company to come and get it, and uh, we brought it home. And of course I was doing research on it and talking to people and um, it turned out that, um, that nobody knew that this particular airframe would had actually survived. They knew that uh, after it finished its service in the well, uh, Hong Kong Auxiliary Air Force, yeah. uh, they thought it, after it got pushed around the back of the hangar, it basically um, got chopped up and disappeared. So the Oster fraternity, uh, particularly in the UK, uh, all their ears pricked up and they're like, my goodness, this airplane survived. And, and all of a sudden I was getting emails and I started finding out that it served in Hong Kong for all these years. and So it's been a huge job tracing all its history, but I've got the Hong Kong Historical Aircraft Association now on board with me, and they're, um, they're over the moon that one of their old planes is back in the air. and Right. Well, going to be back in the air. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then I, I got in touch with a lady called Val Pennington. She lives up in Taupo. And uh, her husband was Ross, and he flew... Uh, he was like an honorary air commodore or something for the Hong Kong Auxiliary Air Force. Right. And um, when he retired, uh, they presented him with an off the propeller. And um, he flew, he used to fly WE-552 okay. all the time. Right. Uh, he used to love Austin and it was his favourite airplane. He used to get up and, and fly about it. And she, she gave me a huge, big black and white crystal clear photo of Ross flying... Uh, Master, wow. and she gave me the propeller that he got presented with, um, which was off and off. And it was I didn't have a propeller, and this was a genuine off the one from Hong Kong. Wow. So um, that's him being overhauled at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to go back on the plane, so that's quite quite cool. And the nice one of the nicest things she did, because Ross passed away a few years ago, um, she gave me his pilot's notes that he used to carry in the actual airplane in wow. service. So I've got the pilot's notes 
for the Mark 6 and 7 and AOP 9 that he flew as well. Wow, that's uh, great. So, of course, they'll stay with the aeroplane. That's where they belong. Yes, yeah. Um, wow, so, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's, you know, roughly that's sad, but you know, these aeroplanes have a, a life, as you know, of their own. They've, they've got this whole story behind them, and so... Yeah. Um, when you when you buy an old plane like this, you kind of inherit all all the history and all the people who had anything to do with it over all the years, over the past sixty years. And um, I've got guys coming out of the woodwork who used to fly and maintain here, and I've been telling you some fantastic stories. I've just done a big article for the Oscar Club magazine. Yeah. Um, they did a big feature on the plane because, um, uh, as I understand it, uh, it'll be the only. Um, genuine and original Oscar T7 flying in the world that's never been civilianised. Okay. Um, and because most of the Oscars that came off the the Oscar production line or the Mark 7s, they only built 77 of them. Yeah. Um, they pretty much went quickly into RA service and then they went back to Beagle Aircraft and got uh, converted uh, to what were called Terrier 1s and 2s and they got given... Um, uh, they, they really, they modified them a lot, so there's quite a big difference um, in what it was like as a T-72, how it ended up as a Terrier. Okay. Um, so there's a, there's a few uh, Osters, there's a couple of Osters flying around that were built as T-7s that were converted civilianised, yeah. and they've got them with all their differences, but this will be the only one flying that's um, got great military history at uh, never been civilianised and uh, yeah I mean it's got nose out with the wing dragon and everything on it it's going to be quite unique brilliant brilliant and mm. what, what stage is it at, at the moment okay well at this stage uh, Dave she's um, um, had the fuselage frame is completely finished yeah um, when I took it up to because I've got uh, for those that don't know I took it to uh, uh, GM Aviation uh, up in America yeah. with uh, Jay McIntyre and his guys. Yeah. Because uh, I've known Jay uh, for a number of years prior to me having this officer and I um, got a risk really well with him. And uh, my friend Mud, Muddy, he, uh, he's got a man chain in the hangar as well. Yeah. And, um, and Muddy said to me, oh, Muddy uh, Grant, he flies Pacific Blue. Right. And uh, he was saying, oh, you should get... Uh, you should get Jay to have a look at your plane. He'll he'll, he'll help me out with it. Because I was getting, I was actually getting a, a little bit of feedback from a few people telling me, you know, because I wasn't an aircraft engineer, I was most of my time I was a dreamer. Yeah. It was never going to happen. Okay. And uh, I thought, well, you know, of course it can. You know, it's I'm not planning on making money with it because you can't do something like this. I'm doing it for the love of it. Yeah. And uh, so I just made me dig my heels in even further and say, yeah. You know, stuff you can do it, and I'll show you what a immaculate job that this airplane will roll out as. Right. And, uh, you know, sh and, and it will show the other people if they've got that passion that they can do this too. They don't have to be any craft engineer. Yeah. But if you get to know the right people and be prepared to help people and get your hands dirty, you can, you know, you can get involved and do it. And there are some wonderful projects out there. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. That, that you can get a hold of and, and re. re you know, recreate some of New Zealand's aviation history because it's in, you know, I actually would quite like to have got hold of a Pawnee or a Fletcher and 
you know, got that back as a, a crop buster as well, you know, there's, there's so many opportunities out there, Zach's, you know, got that catch in my, my hat, hats off to the guy, you know, yep. it's great to see um, people enthusiasts grabbing these planes while they can, you know, because um, they need to be saved and looked after, they really do. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you, you've picked a really great team there to um, be the guys that are helping you put it back together at Gem because, uh, oh, you know, yeah. and, you know, that has been so good to me, you know. Because I was a little bit disheartened. I got a little bit of, not negativity, a few people were like, oh, you know, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, flying your craft as opposed to a static one that you've been involved with. And, yeah. And uh, so I rang up Jay and I was having a chat to him. He was just so positive. And, um, you know, 99% of people in the aviation industry are positive anyway. But yeah. It's just sometimes if you strike one in the early days, it can sort of, you know, set you back a little bit when you're, when you're not a craft engineer, you know, you do think, oh, you know, what actually am I doing? <laughs> you know, am, I, am I truly nuts? Uh, but you've got to have the support of your family, and that's been what's really important for me, is that if I didn't have Belinda's support, I could never have done it. And if she wasn't prepared to be involved in it, I could never have done it. Yeah. And so to have her support and then to ring Jay and chat to him and him be so positive about it, and encouraging me to Andrew Vincent and the other guy Shane Glassy. There's a few guys here that I started getting in touch with. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, like, these guys are highly motivational and they were just motivating me. They were excited. Jay said, get the, get the paint stripped off it, but uh, just to, you know, um, just get the main joints all paint stripped because we'll blast the rest of it, you know, bead blast it. And that. But knowing how fussy I am, um, when I took it up there, he couldn't believe it. I'd I paint stripped it completely down by hand and uh, and scotch brought it all back. It looked like a brand new airframe when he saw it. He said it almost looked like an engineer repair work. He said you've cleaned it back so well. Right. But it's just how fussy I am. So anyway, um, they got x-rayed with safe air and um, they sort of stick me through what needs to be done and the, you know, the processes involved and um, you know, Jay and Marty and the guys here have just been fantastic. If it wasn't for them, you know, and their enthusiasm, you know, it would be difficult. So it's, it's really important to network with people and be prepared to go out there and help other people because, you know, you find that what you put out in helping other people with stuff, you know, even though you don't ever expect to get something in return, people are always happy to, to do what they can back. And, you know, it's all about swapping and trading parts and... Like I had a um, fuel pump made for an Allison, and um, there's um, John Saunders in the hangar next to Jay's got a P40 project, and he needed one. It's like, well, it was a brand new one with all the tags and everything on it. Yeah. It was no good to me. It was, as far as I was concerned, it was worthless. Right. You know, and so I said, no, nah, look, John, you can have it. And he was like, oh, you know, he really wanted one, and so and he he tracked down the mounting bracket for the for the flare gun that's got to go in the in master. So that to me was worth way more than uh, than a you know, fuel pump motor. Right, right. So you know, it's all those sorts of things helping each other out. It's the key to, uh, I think, for a lot of people and who are doing this sort of thing, it's all about helping each other out because things can rapidly get out of control with prices and money yeah, yeah. if you have to you know, buy and pay for every single little thing. Yeah. You know, if you can help each other out, like, as you know, Baz and I, with yeah, Baz is Oster as well, you know, it's all about swapping and trading and, you know, doing what we can to help each other out. And that's exactly. what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. You know, it helps people advance their projects and, uh, and at the same time, 
have a feeling along as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, sorry, Dad, going back to that original question, I digress a bit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, um, the fuselage has been, uh, I, so I got it all stripped down. It's been MDT'd with Safia. Yeah. Uh, there was found to be um, one tube that really needed replacing because of some internal corrosion that was a wee bit borderline, could have been left. Um, so it was in the belly, which is it was in one of the tubes in the belly that quite prone on Austers to go. Okay. Uh, and there were a couple of obvious repairs that needed to be done, which we already knew about. So um, Jay um, and the boys there said about uh, getting it all done. Um, Daniel Fu, he's a absolutely crack welder. He yeah. um, he did all the welding. It just that you couldn't tell the difference from the original welding to the stuff that Daniel had re-spliced into the fuselage. Yeah. And then I sort of said to Joe, we sort of got to this point where, okay, look, we could leave the fuselage as it is, um, and it will be fine. And, and I I said to Jay, look, you know, what do you think? He said, well, the things that we could do to, for longevity of the airframe that don't need to be done, but, you know, while we're in the state, you know, something that you should think about. And I said, well, I was glad that you said that because, you know, while we're in the state, it's like do it once, we'll do it properly. So um, he recommended a few things that we should do and a few tubes that he'd like to replace yeah. and a few, uh, a few bits and bobs that he felt should be done. So um, I said, yep. Absolutely, go ahead, let's do it. Um, We've got all the internal tubes, they stuck boroscopes up through it all. Um, They've um, also now coated all the internal structure with uh, like a linseed oil type, one of those uh, anti-corrosive or corrosion inhibitors to protect it internally. Um, And then it got a very light um, media blast. Etch primed, and she's all green now, like as good as new. So, right. so the fuse structure's all done, the fin's all done. That's I think the fin may be ready for being bolt, permanently bolted on now. Okay. Um, I've got all the tail feathers all um, paint stripped, and the boys there have um, done an inspection, and they're all primed, ready for fabric. Yeah. The undercarriage legs uh, and engine mounts are all. Um, just about ready for, or they may even be painted now actually. Um, and the doors are having their final test fitting um, uh, before spraying green as well to match the uh, fuselage. Now, Oster had an unusual sort of a dark greeny colour. It wasn't like that British interior green that we all know so well. It was quite a dark green, and I had, I've since clicked a whole pile of new old stock parts and. Um, I've got a new, a brand new nose cowl for one, and it's got the, the green in it, okay. um, fresh. So they've matched it. The paint guys matched up all the paint. Right. Um, so we've got an exact match. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I should be going up to Blenheim in the next few weeks to go and bring it back uh, here at Christchurch. I'll probably put it in Baz's hangar. Yep. Uh, next to his Oster, and um, I can start fitting it all out. Um, I've got I've got a I've got a, about three gypsy majors, three or four, to get uh, one uh, one good one out of. Yeah. Um, I've got I've been buying a lot of new old stock parts as well, Dave. Um, so um, I've been able to pick up 
a lot of my cowlings were all dinged and battered pretty rough. Yeah. I've managed to pick up some new, uh, new uh, like a brand new nose cowl and um, a lot of interior stuff. It's all brand new, never been fitted to an Oscar before. Um, I've got all the old, I've got all the gauges, the exact models and types that were originally fitted, all new old stock. Yeah. Um, Where do you find all this stuff? It's amazing, after all these years, it's still new old stock yeah well I you know I go on eBay every morning eBay UK look up you know I've got a search on aircraft parts Um, I've managed to pick up a brand new P12 compass that's still in its box it's never been fitted to an Oscar before yeah Um, it's the upside down one okay and uh, that that came from a guy I bought off eBay Uh, he was a collector of aircraft instruments and um, he was sort of getting out of it and putting it all onto eBay and so here I've got this brain spanking new compass right. to mount in it. So I've picked up a few bits and pieces off eBay. I've bought um, through the Oster Club, uh, parts through the Oster Club. I've also, um, there's a guy, there's a crowd in the UK called the Bakers. So that's um, uh, the well-known Oster people. And, uh, uh, old Dave Baker, he's an elderly chap, who's family bought up all the old spears out of the factory when they closed it up. Ah, right, I see. And so he's got, he's got like about 10 Oscars yeah. um, project form, and he's just got miles and miles of new old stock bits, so that's been quite good. And he doesn't have everything, there's still a lot of stuff you know, that he doesn't have, but yeah. he's certainly helped me out of a few holes. Um, right. So yeah, you know, just, um, and just contacts and leads and... Yeah. Um, yeah, that will be eBay, the Bakers, and just the off the club, uh, you know, communicate. And, and the guys here in New Zealand, some, there's some fantastic uh, off the guys here in New Zealand who, you know, just will do anything to help you. So yeah. I've been swapping a lot of bits with those guys too. Uh, are there any particular bits that you just can't find and, and you really need? Um. I've been having a lot of trouble. See, I've got a bit of a problem with this off today. Even yeah. though there's a T7 here in, in Christchurch at the, uh, at the Air Force Museum, it's a C4 model, which was, you know, um, modified for um, Antarctic use. Yeah. So it's got different undercarriage and lots of modifications. Yeah. And, and because it was a version that was not really here, it would be quite different as far as Austers go in New Zealand. It's pretty hard to get a lot of parts here, so a lot of my parts I can't just, you know, I've just I've got to get overseas, which yeah. has been really hard going. See, so like, you know, with Baz with his um, J5 and you know, the J1s, there were, there were lots of them around New Zealand. Yeah. And so, you know, that's made it quite easy for a lot of these guys to get their stuff, but a lot of my stuff has had to come out of, out of the UK. Right. Um, but I had a lot of trouble finding some drawings for the woodwork, which a guy in Canada's got, actually. Uh, actually, no, he's in New York. He's got a Canadian Oscar, Mark Six Oscar. Yeah. Uh, so he's just helped me out this last week with the drawings for the original T7 instrument panel. Okay. I've got one half of it that's a brand-new old stock one, and now I've got the drawing so I can get um, a new one laser cut uh, for, the, for the main panel. Yeah. Um... Pretty much, I think I've got I've got most of the bits and pieces uh, that I need. Um, the things that I don't have, you know, windscreens and that I'm in the process of organising now. Right. Um, but yeah, so pretty much got 
There's nothing. There was a few things that I hit the wall on, and I didn't think I was ever going to find like there's a observer seat in the back of the Oscar, which is a swivel seat, which is quite different even to the, the J5s that were here. Okay. Um, and it's peculiar to the Mark Six and Seven. Well, I managed to track one of those down in uh, in the UK, and then did some swaps with a guy in Australia, and yeah, eventually ended it up. It's, uh, I finally managed to get one of those, but they are. As well as the proverbial old rocking horse stuff. Right, right. So, um, but no, no, um, so far I think I'm pretty well on track. I've got most things I need. And I think I, I, I did a quick inventory right when I first got the Oscar Dave and I, I identified quickly what were the things I needed. Yeah. And so I was able to start my search straight away. Right. So I've had it for probably three or four years and in that time I've, I've, um, I've just been just on a mission to track down parts. Okay, has it really uh, been that long? Sorry? Has it really been that long? Yeah, wow. yeah, I think probably three or four years, I suppose. Wow, time flies, doesn't it? It does, <laughs> it does. You know, people say to me, oh, you, when you have that plane in a year or two? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Dave, it's, a, it's, it's down to money, you know, these yeah. things, they are horrendously expensive. Yeah. You know, um, you, do it, you have to do it for the love of it because you... If you were doing it uh, and worried about the money, you wouldn't do it. You yeah. know, it's um, and you know, and it can get frustrating when people can get overly critical about something. You know, and you think, you know, well, I've just, I've just got an eighteen thousand dollar bill this week for this airplane, and, and you want to poke fun at what I, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. yeah. It's like you know, uh, appreciate it for what it is that somebody's doing this. Yes. Um, I haven't really had it so much at me, um, but. Uh, and um, you know, over the over the time, a few guys have have rebuilt planes and that, and been scathed for their paint jobs. And yeah, look, I know that you know, I'm I know I'm fussy and I want it right. But some guys, um, you know, they they're really happy with their paint jobs. And yeah. so, hey, if that's what they want to do, that's their money. They, uh, you know, exactly. well, I say if you don't like it, you come and pay for it, and, <laughs> and I'll change it. Yeah. No, but, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's that old story, though. You know, and it's only it's only the minority that that uh, that do that. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, a, a, I, as you know, I've always uh, ne I've never sort of really been all that interested in the Oster. It's one of those aircraft that I've just never taken <laughs> taken, taken a lot of <laughs> notice. You've been a hard time about that there for a while. Yeah. Really yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> some things taken out of context, but. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, I'm, quite, I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite prepared to say I find them boring. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's a lot of airplanes I find boring. I mean, Cessnas, Pipers, all of those things are boring to me because, yeah. um, because it's just not my area of interest. But I have to no, say, I, I have I, to say I, though, I admire that you think that you'd say that. But it's, that's not the thing. It's when people get nasty. So you know, I yeah. see it on some forums and people yeah. get really nasty about things, and I never really appreciated it. And what, what I've spent on it, even at this low stage I've got out now, I could have gone out and bought an Oster or a Cessna, you know, on, on five two or whatever. Yeah. I could have gone and bought a flying airplane, and I think, man, if that person knew how much time and money yeah. has to go into even just getting it to this stage, yeah. you know, they might think twice about making comments like that. Oh, but, exactly. Uh, and, and, for, and for, yeah. in these projects, it's often not the destination, but the journey, isn't it? So oh, you're it having is, yeah. so much fun, and, and oh, look, it is. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. It's just it's a, 
and meeting all the old fellas who used to fly it, that's yeah. just been the icing on the cake for me. Oh, absolutely. And a great story where one of the one of the pilots was saying that he um, they're having a big air show. The RAF were putting on a big air show in Hong Kong, yeah. and he had to do the the drunken pilot routine. He says, "I was in." your aeroplane, you know, WE552, and he said, I got a little bit carried away on takeoff, and he said, and I, um, I hit, the, hit the prop on the tarmac, and he said, I shed about two or three inches off the end of it, he said, I flew through a shower of splinters, <laughs> and he said, because uh, I'm in my clown suit and flying like an idiot, he said, but he said, the plane was just trying to throw itself to pieces, and he sort of tried to do a stupid clown routine to a safe face, yeah. he said, I landed, he said, I never got about 200 feet off the ground, he said, he said, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it flying again with a complete prop again for me. And it's those stories listening to the guys, you know, um, they went over to Malaya at one stage and um, were uh, throwing out marker flares out the side doors and waiting for 14 Squadron Venoms to come in. And he said, we'd be up at um, 1,500 uh, or a couple of thousand feet or something. And he said, 14 Squadron would come in with the Venoms and he said, we'd just be stooging around up above. And he said they let off their salvo of rockets. And he said the shockwave that was coming out of the jungle up, up through the airplane. He said, I actually don't think we've really got any terrorists. He said, I think we just sent a few elephants and monkey to monkey and elephant heaven a little bit sooner than they anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, hearing all those stories gives it a life of its own. You know, this why well, you think, well, this plane's really got some done some cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had no idea that um, it had that sort of connection with the RNZF operating as mm. their um, forward air controller type thing. It's like, yeah, you yeah, know, that's what they have, forward air control work, you know. Yeah. Um, several Kiwis flew, flew my plane over in uh, Hong Kong. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean... That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, and as I was trying to say before, um, you know, I might find the particular aircraft boring, but mm. I really respect the fact that someone will go and buy it restore it, find out all the history of it, put it back mm. together how it was. That's just fantastic, and that's what it's all about. That's what war, yeah, Warbirds... Yeah, it's all about... Oh, look, it's all about the plane and yeah. people getting enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And you getting enjoyment out of doing it as well. And tell you what, what's been as much fun as just meeting all these fantastic aviation people along the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the icing on the cake. And the people like me who are sitting on the sidelines watching and reading and seeing the photographs and stuff like that, you know, I'm learning all the time, so I've got a lot more respect for you know, the aircraft one, out of one thing I learned, Dave, is that you need enthusiasts. Yeah. I've, I've always been an enthusiast, and I still am. It's just that, you know, I've stumbled across the right project for me and my family, but I've always found that you need enthusiasts because it's enthusiasts that help the whole warbird movement yeah. move along. Yeah. If we didn't have enthusiasts and people who are interested in this stuff, you know, um, you know, part of the enjoyment is letting people enjoy it as well, you know. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, I love it when people email me out of the blue who I don't know and, you know, heard about the plane and what's, how's, it, you know, how's it going along and I've got some bits or I used to be an engineer and, um, you know, in, uh, in the Air Force and worked on Austers and, you know, enthusiasts are what make, make it as well, you know, yeah. and very important part of the whole, the whole, it's all, it all goes hand in hand. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you know, I always remember as a kid going to air shows and, and not just as a kid, even up until five or ten years ago, going to air shows and and you know when the when the pilots and crew talk to you, you really appreciate it. Yeah, and oh, it's yeah. The, you know it's, it means a lot. And I think we've got to encourage people to get involved and enjoy these old planes and 
and remember the history and the, and the guys that used to fly them and um, you know get the kids involved and yeah. you know yeah, keep it alive you know we need enthusiasts for that to keep it alive absolutely and, yeah. and, on, and on that note um, your aviation interest started um, hands on at Ferrymead when you were young uh, do, mm. do you now take Cameron along to Ferrymead and yeah and yeah yeah, although I don't want them scraping their planes down, I want them scraping our one down. <laughs> You've got to put the energy in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had him up to his armpits and gypsy major bits last weekend. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he sort of looked at me the other day and he goes, Dad, he says, I've got a feeling I'm going to be doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, 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 just remember you keep your hands dirty and keep going. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's, yeah. a, there's, there's a, a whole new generation of warbird guys coming through yeah that's, yeah. that's right yeah, yeah. you know might get bored of it later on not get interested but you know who knows who knows or it could lead to something completely the opposite yeah ex- exactly yeah. so yeah exactly so, but, no, but that's I what it's all enthusiasts. about enthusiasts are great the few enthusiasts are what makes having old planes enjoyable as well yeah absolutely and, and, and on that note I mean we, mm. we, we should sort of um, wind this up now but with the enthusiasm um, and enthusiast uh, note there um, I always ask guys that are on the forum what their mm. favourite um, favourite threads on the forum oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah I've got a couple of good ones that yeah. I quite like uh, of course um, I love Baz's off the thread yeah uh, he seems to get a fair bit of mileage out of me and most I'm still his mate after all he says. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> he came around the other day and I said, what's this, you know, uh, having me on about, uh, you know, working hard at Omaka and, and going to bed. I said, you're the one staring through my window. And then, he, and then I give him a, I give him an overhauled RPM gauge. I said, oh, I must be a fool giving you this stuff. <laughs> no, he's a great bloke. He yeah. really is. Yeah. I've got so much time for him. And that's probably one of, one of my... Most enjoyable threads. So I, I'm enjoying watching Bez work on on that because he's like me too. You know, he's a he's not an engineer, but he's got a lovely historic airplane there with a great Canterbury Aviation history. That, yeah. uh, a lot of people local locally around this region here all know that airplane. Are quite excited to see it come back together again. Right. Right. Um, I tell you another thread I really uh, uh, enjoyed was Shorty's thread on all the photos he was putting up. Oh, his stash, yep. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's one um, of the best, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, another one, surprise, surprise, would be Mike Stokes' um, 30-second scale Fletcherly scratch building. Oh, now that is absolutely brilliant. Isn't it great? Yeah. Oh, I've been really enjoying that, really yeah. enjoying that. And um, I quite like the mosquito thread as well that's been going on the preservation one because I've got a soft spot for them um, and seeing the photos and stories that have been coming up through that as well. Right, right. There's yeah. so many great threads. I mean the cocoon skyhawks one or the white hawks that would that would burn through that was a there's actually quite a few. I, I I log on and there's some I just go straight to just to go and catch up with and see what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah. So I could probably tell you that lots of threads that I like those, but I think probably Baz's one, you know, Shorty's one and Mike Fletcher are probably the standouts for me. Oh, that's good. And you'll be yeah. pleased to know that um, I've just interviewed Shorty uh, in the last interview and he said that he's very soon uh, will have broadband and that means his, he's going to regenerate the um, photos, oh, photos from my stash thread because he's got a whole lot more photos to go up there. Oh, good one. Oh, well... Well, I'm looking forward to that then. Me too, me too, because yeah, that's definitely. one of my favourite threads. It's great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, that's, there's another guy who had a thread, I can't think what his name was, is, um, 
Rata was in the fourth and hit some great colour shots as well. Oh, um, there's uh, Paul Jackson's thread on um, uh, Be- uh, Barry. Um yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that was another cracker. It's good to see these, this, all these photos and information coming out. Great stories. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It, it's amazing what turns up on the forum and oh, what, what's is. actually out there in these private collections. So. I mean, when I joined up that forum, well, I don't know what year it was. It was, I think, probably the forum was probably in about six months old at the time. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, what's, I mean, the, the membership now must be huge. It's, well, last I looked, it was just over 2,200 people, so. Wow. Probably about 100 of them would have been spammers that have been deleted. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got one of those the other day. I saw that in your uh, in your discussion thing. Yes, oh, yeah, I got one of those. <laughs> but, I, mean, I actually for... sometimes don't know when I've got a private message and so unless I look at my thing, I go, ooh, ooh, wonder how long that's been there for. <laughs> It's a bit naughty. I had have had a couple there, and I've, I've not just not seen them. All oh, right, but in terms of the membership, though, I, mm. I also know that um, you know there might be twenty two hundred members um, joined up, but there's a hell of a lot more people out there that listen. Uh, yeah. I mean, sorry that um, that read all the time. Yeah. Um, who who never post and haven't joined up, and yeah. you know I I hear from them privately. I'd, like I'll go to an airport, and someone will mention my name, and, and they're like, "Oh, Dave Homewood. Hey, hey, how are you? I read your thing all the time. Oh, yeah. Who, who are you on the forum? Oh, no, I'm not on it. You know, it's like, yeah. but you read it all the time. Well, that, that's great. I love that because you yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. The, all walks of life. I mean, people are getting something out of it. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of the Westpac guys as well. They they were all on the forum watching it as well. You know, yeah. and, that, and that's introducing a lot of those guys to it too. And they've been really enjoying the forum as well. But as far as I'm aware, none of them have actually registered or right. anything like that. But they enjoy enjoy the forum as well. Right. Uh, what I what I really like is the fact that there's all generations on there. We've got you know 13 year olds right up to 90 something year olds, and yeah. you know there are quite a few. Um, uh, veterans of World War Two who you know follow the forum. They may not post, but they follow it. And then we've yeah, got Malayan yeah. veterans and Vietnam veterans, and yeah, you know all the all the way out. through. You've done a great thing, Dave. Thanks very much. Oh, not just me though. Is it? I mean, yeah, I, I no. just had the original idea, but it's the community that makes it what it is. So. Well, it's, been, it's, a, it's, uh, it's probably my favourite website now. It used to be Key Publishing, but now it's uh, your one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. good. Well, it's local, and I love local interest as well. Yeah, yeah. It means a lot more, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, um, thank you very much for oh, giving, hey, giving time welcome, tonight. Oh, hey, you're welcome, I hope great. I didn't waffle on for too long. I think I probably did. No, no, it's been fine. It's, uh, it's, it's been very interesting listening to, um, you know, talking about the Oster Project and the models and oh, all good. that sort of thing. And, I was um, a bit worried when you asked me. I thought, oh, I'm... Um, I'm fairly boring, you know, I don't really, I've got much to contribute, but I managed to waste away an hour fairly quickly, didn't I? <laughs> well, you'd be surprised now it's an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, really? I must like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> well, actually, mind you, 20 minutes of that was, bef- was before we started the actual interview. Yeah, so. true, true, yeah. But no, thank you, thank you very much oh, indeed. It's a for, pleasure, um, Dave, and thanks for a great website. I really enjoy it. It's, uh, it's really, really good, good my, stuff. My pleasure, my pleasure. All right, okay, my friend. take care. You too. Thanks again, Dave. Yeah, all the best. See you later. Bye. Bye. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homer.